We are doing chapter 24, Baba's Splendid Sense of Humor. My obeisance to Sri Ganesh, to Sri Saraswati, to Sri Guru Maharaj, to the family deity, to Sita Ramachandra, my most humble obeisance. I bow in reverence to the most venerable Guru Sri Sainath. As promised at the end of the last chapter, I will now narrate how Guru Sainath, the cloud of compassion, gave instructions even through jesting and humor. Of course, to say that I will narrate is only my ego, while one should always be free from ego at the Guru's feet. Only then the narration will have the power to move the hearts of the listeners. But now, listen respectfully to the tale. The sadhu, the revered and the great are always pure and sinless. They are pure and faultless as the clear cloudless sky. Singing praises of Sai Maharaj is the means of achieving both material and spiritual welfare. It helps concentrate on the true self, thereby bringing an inner contentment. He who is desirous of achieving this spiritual welfare should listen to the story with reverence. He will enjoy bliss without an effort and experience fulfillment in life. Those who listen to it will enjoy an inner peace. Their baseless fear of worldly life will be dispelled. They will enjoy lasting bliss and emancipation will come to them readily. With his intuitive powers, Sai Samarth knows full well the thoughts and the feelings of his devotee. He will fulfill his responsibility towards them and redeem his promise. Sai Samarth himself stimulates the mind and it is he who makes me utter his words. I shall narrate his message in its essence, which is the means of attaining material and spiritual power to the best of my ability. People are not blind, nor do they suffer from night blindness. Eyes that certainly have, but still they are blind, for they identify themselves with the body and do not understand their own good. Moreover, this body is such that its existence cannot be taken for granted even for a moment. Hence, I spread my palms before you to entreat you earnestly to savor the sweetness of this tale for a moment. Everyone likes joking and jesting. But most extraordinary was Baba's way of using jesting and humor to impress. Everybody likes joking and jesting. But most extraordinary was Baba's ways of using such jesting and humor to impress upon the minds of the devotees the very essence of his teachings, which was always beneficial to all. Nobody takes a joke seriously. But they took too, uh, but they took fondly to Baba's jesting, and in fact waited eagerly for their own turn to come. Usually, people do not like a joke at their cost, but they like Baba's jokes immensely, and especially if it was accompanied by acting and emphatic gestures. The joke achieved its purpose instantaneously. His jokes always had a natural ease and novelty about them. Their spirit heightened by the smiling countenance, the play of the eyes. The charm was simply indescribable. I shall now narrate experience, a story at once instructive and novel. Listen to those glorious words, through which flowed spiritual instructions couched in light-hearted jesting. At Shirdi, there was a big weekly bazaar every Sunday. Pitching tents in the open, buying and selling operations are in full swing. There on the road itself falls heap of vegetables and greens. Numerous traders in oil and beetle leaves, areca nuts, tobacco etc. sit in the crossroads. One such Sunday, I was with Baba in the afternoon, pressing his feet, when a strange thing happened. Baba's darbar in the afternoon was always crowded, to add to which it was Sunday and the market day. People had flocked to the mosque in large number. I sat on Baba's right, facing him and bending my back, was pressing his feet, chanting the Naam to myself ceaselessly. Madhavrao was to Baba's left, Vaman Rao to his right, while Srimant Gop- Gopal Rao Bhutti sat there too, waiting his turn to serve. And so was Kaka sitting there. Suddenly, Madhavrao laughed. What? Anna Saib, 
What are these grains that seem to have struck here? So saying, Madhavara touched the folds of my coat with his finger and lo, there were grains struck therein. As I stretched out my left elbow to see what it was, some grains of parched gram were seen rolling down and I saw those around picking them up. When they were carefully picked up and gathered together, they came to be about 25 grains. That then became the cause of teasing and joking. But how did such a thing happen? Guess followed upon guesses. Each one was absorbed in his own thought. Those gram grains coming in contact with the coat were something that puzzled everyone. After all, how many folds could the khaki coat have had? And how could they contain these grains? And to begin with, from where did they come and under what circumstances? No one could understand this with certainty. While pressing his feet with my mind engrossed in chatting the naam, how did this tale of the gram suddenly crop up in the middle of it? Moreover, since so much time had passed while I was serving Baba, Pressing his feet, how is it that he did not roll down all the while? That they should have remained stuck there all the time was something that made everybody wonder. Everybody was thus quite puzzled as to where the grams came from and how the grams settled in the folds of the coat. Listen to what Baba then said. Strange and varied are the different ways of instructions of different people. However, Baba instructed each according to his capacity. Maharaj's ways were most unusual and his manner of instructing was interesting enough to remain in the memory. I have no experience of having seen or heard anything like this anywhere else. He said, This one here has a bad habit and is fond of eating things all by himself. Today, taking advantage of its being a market day, he has come here cramming grams in his mouth without a care in the world. It's not good to eat things all by oneself. But I know his habit and these gram grains are therefore themselves a proof of it. It's not surprising at all. I then replied, to eat without giving it to others I have never known. Where then is the question of such a bad habit? It will not stick, try as others may. But at this moment I have never seen the Shirde market and only if I go there can I buy the grams and thereafter the matter of eating it. Those who have such fondness for eating alone may have it. I for one do not have this bad habit. Without giving at least a little of it to others, I never put anything in my mouth. But then just see Baba's ingenuity, how he confirms the faith of the devotee in himself. On hearing my candid words, listen carefully to what he said. To him, you will give, who is nearby. But if not, what can you also do? And what can I do about it either? Do you remember me? And am I not near you? But do you offer me even a morsel? The gram grains were just an excuse to impress the principle firmly in our minds. Great blame attaches to that food which is taken to nourish our own body, deceiving the gods and the goddesses of the sense organs, as also others, the Panchangani, the Panchapranas and the Vishwadev, to the exclusion of even the unexpected guests who arrive at mealtime. See this story about these grams of grains that are there. What actually it's trying to tell you is, there was also this story of Krishna where he had tied, if you remember, Sudama. Sudama had tied some grains, but he refused to give. And uh, when asked by Krishna, oh, what is that noise coming from? Where is that noise coming from? Because Krishna was lying on his lap and he said, oh, I can hear something from your stomach. And what is that crunching noise that is coming? So Sudama tells him, oh, that is nothing. You know, that is just my stomach is rolling and maybe, you know, my teeth are chattering because of hunger, so on and so forth. You will find that we all have this kind of, you know, reasoning that we keep on giving. Again, if you read the entire thing over here, you will find that the author 
is giving not one but at least ten different reasons why he has not done it. See, there is no need for giving any reasons to the divine. Please understand this. There is no need, absolutely no need. Baba knows it very well, what was there, how the grains have come, why are they falling there at the moment and there is no need of clearing up the blame sort of. So he says, I have never gone to the market. I have never bought these things. I don't even know how to eat it. I give it to others. Where is the question of giving it to others? So you think you are giving it to others? So this is the first thing that you need to understand. Who are you to give others? The Lord gives it through you to others. If something has to reach another person, it is going from one place to another through that. It is very simply like this, you know, if you keep some sugar outside, you will find the ants come over there. So you will say, oh, I left the sugar outside and the ants have come over there. But is it not that the Lord is taking care of the ants, that this, he has brought the ants over there where he was going to get this sugar, you know, sugar kept. So it is, if you see it from that point of view, you will, yes, we are always the conduits. We are always the pipeline through how the thing has to reach where it is supposed to reach. So even if, if, you, if you see that when we educate our children or when we give something to somebody, who are we to educate? Who are we to give? So you have to forget this. You have to understand that the child is supposed to get educated. So God is giving you the means of giving it to the child, isn't it? You are just a pipeline for the child. It's the same way the sugar is kept over there by you, becomes a pipeline. And there is no need for giving any reasons. See, reasons are given by those people who want to hide behind certain facts. There is no need to even tell the truth or falsehood or whatever. It's not needed at all. The reason why it is not needed is simply because the Lord knows it all. The best thing for you to do is tell the truth right there itself on the spot. And get away from the amount of karma that gets attached to it. Because every time when you give reasons after reasons after reasons, why it has been done and why it has not been done, you are putting yourself into multiple loops. So if you see Baba's answer, Baba's answer is not straightforward. Baba's answer is very very clear from what he says. Read the line carefully. To him, you will give who is nearby. But if not, what can you also do? And what can I do about it either? Do you remember me? So, remembering the Lord who is using you to give it to the next do, next person, the person who is next to you. You understand this? The flow is coming that way. So, always you have to remember the Lord, how he is driving this whole thing towards his destination. We always look at it from the different perspective. I did it. I gave it. That is something that we have to leave it. And am I not near you? Do you offer me even a morsel? Again, the whole cycle has to complete. And the cycle has to complete. That means you should know where the beginning is. You should know where the end is. You are just in between that whole thing. The principle, unimportant as it may, is yet of great significance when applied in daily life. And what has been said about tasting food with the palate is only a synecdoche. For it is true of all the five senses. He who has longing for sensual pleasures can never attain spiritual progress. But he who keeps the senses under control will have it as a slave. 
Baba was only reiterating firmly through humor and jesting the mantra which the Shrutis have proclaimed. When all the senses are stilled, when the mind is at rest, when the intellect weaves not, this that say the wise is the highest state. And this is also for the other four, that is word, touch, vision and smell. How instructive, how relevant was Baba's words in the present context? When the mind, intellect and sense organs are drawn in the enjoyment of sense objects, think of me first and offer them to me bit by bit. You will find in the last line also, he is very clearly telling you something important which we have been discussing all along. Great blame attaches to the food which is taken to nourish your body, deceiving the gods and the goddesses of the sense organs. So that means the gods and the goddesses are there in the sense organs and also the panchagini, five fires, panchaprana, the five airs and the vishwadev, the one that is whom we call as Krishna himself who rests in our heart. Okay. That the senses will remain without being attracted to the sense objects is never possible so long as the world lasts. But if they are offered at the Guru's feet, the attachment to them will be naturally weakened. When the desire is aroused, let it be only about me. When you are angry, direct that anger towards me. Ego, obstinacy should all be directed similarly at my feet by the devotee. When lust, anger, ego and other such natural propensities are provoked furiously, make me the target and direct them at me. In this way, Hari will destroy them one by one and the waves of the triple poison will be calmed by Govinda. Or rather, all these tumultuous passions will merge in my form or they will become one with me as they rest at my feet. When such a practice is formed, the passions become feeble on their own and after a time are destroyed completely. The mind is then free from passion. Now, this line over here needs a certain explanation. See, first and foremost, it is said that when you are eating something, offer it to the Lord. Correct? So, all kinds of feelings also that come up with the person, they need to be offered. Okay? In this line where he says, offer even the anger to me. You, are, you will make the biggest mistake if you offer anger to the Lord. <laughs> because everything comes back to you at least a hundred or a thousand times more. So, whatever you offer, don't offer anger. Anger is offered by the demons. Know that. So, the Lord fights them. When Hiranyakashyap offered anger to the Lord, the Lord tore him up into pieces. Correct? So, only those people who are on the path of the demons world, they only need to offer anger and greed and all those kind of, you know, negative emotions. Because such kind of negative thing should not be offered to the Lord because we are very much human and we believe we are human, of course, unless and until you are on something else. But this is what you got to know. Don't offer whatever that you offer, it comes back to you. Remember this. So offering has to be done, which is something very good, honorable, something that is worthwhile, which can then come back to us in multifolds. But anger and ego, if you offer, is going to rise. If you remember, the ego of Ravan started rising. It's the same thing. If you remember um, the story where he tells, Oh, you monkey, what are you doing over here trying to do this? So he puts him right in front and ties at his tail that big mashal, you know. It is nothing but he was showing his anger and he was showing what he could do to the monkey. He did not know that that monkey is Hanuman. And so he burns down Lanka. 
so don't offer anger or don't offer such kind of negative emotions it can bring back a lot of disaster though no doubt about it both ravan and both hiranyakashyapu they reached the lord no doubt about it but we are not from that category we are not demons so we should never offer them this kind of thing the lord once the mind comes to believe firmly that the guru is always close by it will never be plagued in this way when this good thought has taken root then the bondage of worldly life falls off the guru appears in every sense object or rather every sense object is adorned by the guru's form and if ever so slight an enjoyment of the sense object the thought that baba is near us will at the outset give rise to the consideration of the worthiness or otherwise of the enjoyment of the object the object which is not suitable or worthy will be discarded naturally the addict thus became free from his addiction the mind becomes disgusted with such in- undesirable sense objects once it is turned away from them with constant practice the devotee then becomes ever watchful and ready to exercise control over sensual desires the rules for which have come from vedas he then begins to enjoy the sense objects according to the rules and does not behave wantonly uh, i will give you one small instance of what happened once upon a time i was doing a passage from the bhagavad gita where krishna says that you should offer everything to the lord first before partaking of it there was one lady who was sitting in the satsang listening to these words so she said oh then that means i can offer whatever i want to so i said you have to be careful of what you are offering so one day when we were sitting in in a restaurant she saying can i offer this liquor to the lord i said it is your wish if you want to offer it to the lord you know what is going to happen and then she raised a toast to the lord the next day there was a very small disturbance in that particular place the next day she had drunk seven bottles of of uh, what do you call that <laughs> she must have been drunk i wouldn't know that but she had seven bottles of beer and multiple glasses of uh, wa- something i don't know what the drinks are called and she was completely sozzled the next day and so <laughs> kindly don't make a toast to the lord or you will get toasted so <laughs> remember that so this is what happened when so i was just reminded of that once the devotee then becomes watchful and ready to exercise control over sensual desires okay i think we have missed out over here the object which is not suitable or worthy will be discarded naturally the addict thus becomes free from his addiction the mind becomes disgusted with such undesirable sense objects once it is turned away from them with constant practice the devotee then becomes very watchful and ready to exercise control over sensual desires the rules for which have come from vedas he then begins to enjoy the sense objects according to the rules and does not behave wantonly once the mind is habituated in this manner the sense desires weaken instead there arises a love for guru bhajan and from then spouts pure knowledge as this pure knowledge begins to grow the bondage of bodily awareness snaps the same intellect now dives deep into the consciousness that i am brahma it is then that infinite happiness is experienced though the body is transient it is only means of achieving the highest goal of human existence which is higher than moksha itself because it leads to the bhakti yoga higher than the four purusharth that is the ultimate goals of human life is the fifth one nothing is as great as this for bhakti yoga is unique he who has experienced fulfillment in life by serving the guru will understand this truth 
adequately that his own good lies in attaining bhakti, knowledge and renunciation. Only such a one will achieve spiritual progress. He who sees a difference between Guru and God has failed to find that God though he has read the whole of Bhagavad. It is like reading the whole Ramayana but not knowing at the end of it how Sita was related to Ram. Give up the thought of duality and know that Guru and God are one and the same. By serving the Guru with pure heart, all desires for sensual pleasures will be uprooted completely. The mind will become pure and unblemished and the self mind real self will manifest itself. And so, when Baba willed it strongly, it was as easy for him to produce the gram as washing his hands. In fact, he showed the Leela far stranger than this in no time. An ordinary conjurer waves a charmed bone and produces any substance at will by his hypnotic powers just to ache out a living. But Sainath is a conjurer, unique and most remarkable. And oh, how grand was his spoke! If he wishes, he can produce innumerable gram grains all in a trice. But let us concentrate on the significance of the story that none of the five senses should enjoy sensual objects without remembering Bhakti. Once the mind is taught this lesson, it will be remembered time and again. The mind will then concentrate on Sai in every given give and take of worldly life. The pure Brahma will most certainly come before the eyes in its perfect form, with all the attributes giving rise to devotion, liberation and renunciation, and leading to the attainment of the highest state. As the eyes gaze upon the comely figure, the consciousness of the worldly life of hunger and thirst will melt away. The awareness of material pleasures will be lost too. The mind will then enjoy peace and contentment. Though O.V. does not come to mind quickly, try as one may, but grinding the grain at the quern, it become, comes back instantaneously. In the same way, describing Baba's Leela about the gram, I recollect the story of Sudama. Once while Balram, Sri Krishna and Sudama were staying at Guru Sandipani's ashram, serving him, Krishna and Balram was sent on an errand to bring wood. Obeying the command of the Guru's wife, Krishna and Balram set out along the forest path. They had hardly left when Sudama was asked to accompany them too. He had been given some grains, gram, by the Guru's wife, who had instructed him that they should, that should they feel hungry while wandering in the forest, the three of them should eat the gram. Later, Sudama met Krishna in the forest and Krishna said to him, Dada, I feel thirsty. But just listen to what Sudama replied, without a word about the gram that he had with him. Never drink water on an empty stomach. Instead, why don't you rest for a while first? And even as Krishna rested his head on the lap, he could not bring himself to say, Have some of this gram. Seeing that Krishna has dozed off, Sudama began to eat the gram himself. So Krishna said, Dada, what is it that you are eating? Why is that sound? Oh Krishna, what is there to eat here? It is this cold that makes my teeth chatter, that is all. See, I cannot even pronounce the word Vishnu Sahasranam clearly. Hearing Sudama's reply, the omniscient Lord Krishna said, Oh really, I too had exactly the same dream. When one eats something that belongs to another, and when asked what he is eating, says in annoyance, Oh, what do I eat? It's only this earth. Pat came the reply, So be it. Now I think you, you get the point. So be it. So if you are offering 10 rupees, then multiply it by 1000. If you are you are offering one gali, multiplied by 1000, you will get 1000 galis. Why you want that? <laughs> so be it. So be it is translated as Tathastu. Okay. But of course, this is just a dream, Dada. How will you ever eat anything without me? And even when I asked you what you were eating, I was still dreaming. Had Sudhamaji but known in the previous ashram stage of Krishna Leela, never he would have made a mistake and suffered his dire consequences. For 
Were these consequences ordinary? By no means. He had to suffer from extreme poverty. Hence those people who eat without giving others should remember this. <clears throat> Although Sudama was a devotee and had Krishna for a friend, yet the moment he swerved, even so slightly from the moral path, he had to suffer the blow of misfortune in worldly life. But the same Sudama, when he lovingly offered Sri Krishna just a handful of his wife's hard-earned puffed rice, the Lord was pleased and bestowed on him all the pros prosperity that his heart could desire. <laughs> See, even if you are on the spiritual path, and if you have the temerity to not follow the moral code that is there, you can get into very deep trouble. So it is very important to follow the moral path. This is very, very important. That is what is called the righteous path. Never swerve from it. Never even say anything like Krishna. He was told by Sudama something which was completely wrong for which there was a suffering. The suffering came in for many years. He had to undergo hardships. This is not the right thing to be done. So although, always follow the righteous path, whether you like it or not. It is important because if you swerve from the path, it can lead you to a very dark place. But now, here is another instructive tale that I shall narrate. Listen to it. It is at first full of pleasant, enjoyable humor, but ends up in being highly instructive. Some like spiritual instructions, some logical reasoning and arguments. There are yet others who are fond of joking and laughter. What everyone seeks is pleasure. This too was a way of joking. When a lady and a gentleman both were obstinate and in size court, there arose a great dispute, which was settled amicably in the end, without any blame attaching to either. This story is also exceedingly interesting. One to delight the listeners. As the devotee fought with each other, mirth and laughter reached a peak. Damodar Ghansham, whose surname was Babare, was a devotee better known as Anna Chinsarkar. He had a boundless affection for Baba. Hot-tempered, he was given to sharp-cutting words without regards or care for others' feelings. Or what he said was proper or improper, good or bad. He would speak out openly and bluntly. Though stern, rather fierce by nature, he was equally honest, guileless and satvik. It was as if a loaded revolver was on his head constantly ready to explode at the pull of the trigger. Everything was done at once, there and then. There was no question of credit dealings. Without deference or consideration for others, all transactions were down to earth and prompt. One may be able to hold burning embers in hand, but Nana's temper, Anna's temper was more scorching than that. But for all this, he belonged to a species utterly guileless and straightforward. That is why Baba loved him. One day in the afternoon, Baba sat in the mosque resting his left hand on the railing and surrounded by his darbar. Baba would at such times appear to sit quite indifferent and detached. But without anyone realizing it, he could spark off quarrels among the devotees ending in their going off in a half, skulking. He would then pacify both parties in the end. Some devotees would be busy pressing the side of his body, some would be pressing his feet, some others pressed his back and the stomach. They were all eager to serve him in one way or another. Baba was a child celibate who lived in perpetual continency and was pure in conduct. He therefore allowed men and women to serve him. Anna standing on the outer side had bent forward and was slowly pressing Baba's left hand. But listen to the position on the right side. There, there was a lady devoted single-mindedly to Baba whom he addressed as mother while all the others called her Maushibai, which is maternal aunt. Though she was to them Maushibai, her real name was Venubai and her surname was Kaujalgi. Her faith in Sai was unparalleled. Anna had crossed her 50 years mark and had lost all his teeth. 
Maoshi too was elderly and mature. It was between these two that the dispute arose. Anna was with his wife there to serve Baba. The matronly Maoshi was a widow. She so vigorously did she press Baba's stomach that Maoshi could hardly control her breathing. Pure at heart, Maoshi Bai put all her strength in serving Baba as she twisted both her hands to knead his stomach vehemently. Standing at the back and taking a firm grip, she began churning his belly by pressing hard again and again with both her hands. As if it was buttermilk and then she was churning in a vessel. It's a very interesting scene. <laughs> Preoccupied totally in chanting Saina, Maoshi Bai went on pressing and kneading fearlessly. Baba too gave no signs of being under any intense continuously bod- continuing bodily pain. As if it were all conducive to good health. But it was truly a most extraordinary way of massaging, flattening the stomach back into one. No doubt it showed her intense love for Baba. But the onlookers were moved to compassion at Baba's suffering. <laughs> if somebody were to do that to you, you know, you, you are going to shout at her. <laughs> Knowing it would come from pure sincere love for himself, Sai would of course accept such excellent service from the devotee. So that they may remember him all the time and thereby achieve their own will. After all, how much could have been our penance that we should thus have been blessed with the same sacred company? Nay, it is truly Sai's mercy in not rejecting the devotees that is responsible for this. Oh, but what skill there was in those undulations of the lady as she massaged. With her vigorous movements, Baba moved up and down and so did she. It was an amazing manner of serving somebody. However, Anna on the other side was quite steady in the movement as he slightly bent forward. The lady who was deeply engrossed in her work was quite unaware that with her every movement her face too went up and down quite forcefully. Listen to what followed. The lady was quite pleased with herself as she needed Baba's stomach with all her strength in her sincere desire to serve him. But in so doing, she happened to swing a bit too far to one side. With the result, her face came quite close to Anna's. Maushibai was very witty and quickly seized the opportunity to say, Oh, how wayward is this Anna? He is asking me for a kiss first. Are you not ashamed of your hair that you should want to kiss me? As she said these words, Anna immediately <laughs> rolled up his sleeves too. Old and haggard that I am, he said, Am I such a fool, so absolutely crazy? It is you yourself who have joined the battle here and are ready to fight with me. When he saw what a quarrel was flaring up, Baba, who had heard a loving concern for both, thought of a clever stratagem to pacify them both. Very affectionately, he said, Anna, why all this unnecessary uproar? And I really do not understand what is so improper about kissing the mother. In their heart, they both felt ashamed on hearing these words. Words of jesting and teasing remained where they were. Instead, good humor, laughter filled the air. Everyone enjoyed the joke. Greatly. The story as such seems quite insignificant, but the shrewd listeners will appreciate it for revealing it to them as to how one can silence a person in so many different ways. If both of them had the same affection for each other as between a mother and a child, such a dispute would not have arisen and anger would not have been provoked either. A person may burst out laughing while being caned and dissolved into tears when hit by a merest flower. It is the feeling that causes the waves of emotion, feeling. Who does not have this experience? Baba's natural ingenuity was quite truly astonishing. So appropriate were his words on the occasion that the listeners were not only satisfied fully, but had instantly learned the lesson. On one other similar occasion, when the stomach was being needed vigorously, one of his great devotees felt a compassionate concern, an anxiety on being carried too far. Lady, have some mercy, he pleaded. Is this any way to press the body? 
Oh, have some compassion in your heart. Baba's veins will burst otherwise. As these words fell on his ears, Baba quickly got up from his seat and taking the baton in the hand, struck the ground hard with it. His temper flared up dangerously and the eyes glowing like burning embers rotated as he glared all round. At that moment, who would have the courage to stand before him? The eyes shone in the daylight like those of the cat in darkness. It seems as though he would burn down the whole creation. There and then, with a fierce flame in his eyes, holding to one end of the baton with both his hands, he thrust his deep into the hollow of his stomach. As he tightly fixed the other end into the pillar in front, embracing the pillar firmly so as to exert maximum pressure. The baton, which was a length of full arm and a quarter, seemed to have gone into the stomach full length and an explosion of the stomach seems imminent, putting an end to Baba's life. Firmly rooted at the pillar was, how would it move at all? Baba moved closer and closer, touching the pillar finally and clasped it tightly against his stomach. The onlookers were terror-stricken. Fearing that his stomach would now burst, everyone stood astonished. Oh God, what an unwarranted, shocking situation. What a dreadful calamity. So the people exclaimed worries. What is to be done in such a grievous misfortune? And all this calamity just for Maushibai? But Baba stood firm on the promise of championing the cause of the devotee. If anyone to find fault with or criticize the devotee who was serving him, Baba would never tolerate it. Out of his love for Baba, the devotee felt that he should be given a hint he should give a hint to Maushibai for Baba's comfort. But should it all have ended up like this? But God himself was moved to compassion. Sai's anger cooled down, giving up that fearful idea. He came back and sat on the seat. The loving devotee may have been bold and fearless, but seeing Baba's stern nature, he resolved firmly never to repeat that mistake. He had learnt his lesson only too well. From then onwards, he resolved never to interfere with anyone, but to let each one do what he pleases. Sai Samarth himself was powerful enough and knew well what to permit and what to prevent. Why should one try to judge the merits and faults of those who serve him? For though these are only our subjective reactions, that the service of the one pleases Sai or that of another is painful to him. We never really know the truth. But now this is a tale of joking and humor and each one will derive the lessons from their story according to his own capacity. May the devotee savor his sweetness as a bee from the flower. Hemad some humbly bows at Sai's feet. The chapter that follows is even more profound in significance. In its Sai, the ever-compassionate one will fulfill the wish of his devotee Damodar. That too in a great marvel, calling Damodar before himself, Damodar who was harnessed, harassed and wearied out by the problems in worldly life, Baba gave him relief from his anxieties. We'll be to all here in the 24th chapter of Sri Sai Samarth Satcharit called Baba's splendid sense of humor as inspired by the saints and the virtuous and composed by the devotee Hemad Bhan. Here in this, uh, there was a couple of lines which I think you need to understand. Everybody's devotion is unique to them and nobody should make a judgment of what the other person's devotion is. See, what happens is some people, like this lady Maushi Bai, was churning the stomach so rigorous, vigorously. Doesn't mean that you should point it out. If Baba wants to point it out, he is going to point it out. Let him do what he wants to do. And everybody's devotion is unique in its own way. So we cannot even cross-question or say that this is how it should be done. And Baba definitely takes up, you know, cudgels against a person who is objecting to it. So it is always, 
required that you should never object to somebody else's devotion if they want to do something if they want to offer something they want to praise something they want to do whatever it takes so it is their choice and if it is allowed by sai or any other person then you have to let it be because we are nobody to judge them so that ends the chapter if you have any questions you can tell me